please turn with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Many of you may know this psalm. Uh, Many of you may have prayed this psalm for somebody that you know who's going into a uh, dangerous situation. It's called the Soldier's Prayer or the Soldier's Psalm. It's also sometimes referred to as the Policeman's Psalm. Um, so a- anybody who's in need of God's just the, a sense of God's protection, uh, this psalm is appropriate because the emphasis of this psalm is on God's protection and on His preservation. And so, if you know someone who's in that kind of a situation, and we can pray for our senior pastor, you know, daily, this psalm. Because it speaks of the comfort and the sense of peace that God brings to someone who sets their mind on Him. Because in difficult, dangerous, or hazardous situations, you know, sometimes we just need to set our mind on God. You know, and He can bring that comfort and that peace. It says in Isaiah 26, 3, just a, a, a verse that maybe we also know and, and, and can memorize and recite, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so for anyone who, just, who, who desires that peace, and uh, the Bible says that uh, we get a peace from God that goes beyond our understanding, a peace that is different from the world's peace, a peace that is true and lasting and Uh, and encouraging, and it brings us to a place where in our hearts we know that that, that we're safe. That's the kind of peace that we get from God. And so we keep our mind on Him, and He brings us to that place of peace. So the recipe for true biblical peace and for safety is to trust in Him, put our trust and our faith in Him. And this psalm reminds us of the security that we have when we abide in His presence, and it and it's and it's and it's staying there. It's remaining in that place that we're in His presence, that we're always thinking of Him. So, in verses one and two, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him. I will trust. So the secret to receiving God's protection, abide in Him. Remain close to Him. You know, it says here uh, that um, we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Think about the protection that comes from maybe a big oak tree on a hot summer day. And that protection that 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 oak tree gives you from from the scorching sun but think about it also that you may see that big oak tree down the, down the road or down the block. Or, or, but if you're not close enough, you're not going to receive the benefits from that. So we can think of God in the same way. We need to remain close to Him to receive the benefits, uh, the protection that He wants to give us. So abiding in Him, 
abiding in Him, remaining close to Him. So we'll just see as this psalm continues that it's all about remaining close to Jesus. In verses 3 through 8, it says, Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. So all of those calamities, that we ask for God to protect us from. The snare of the fowler and, and uh, the terror by night, the arrow that flies by day. Think about those people. And many times we're in those kinds of situations, you know, that we just, we really, really need a, gr- a good sense of God's protection and, uh, and um, you know, his, that he's our refuge, that we can run to him, that we can hide under his wings. You know, the beautiful pictures that are in this psalm. So uh, he, the psalmist also speaks of the fowler. You know, the, um, it's not a word we use very often nowadays. Uh, maybe hunters know what a fowler is. Uh, fowler is one who hunts birds. So, uh, you know, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The fowler in that verse refers to Satan and his minions. You know, he's always trying to catch us. He's always trying to ensnare us in his traps. He's always trying to get us to fall, to lure us in, right, and and catch us. But God's Spirit keeps us from that. God's Spirit, and and you know, that, that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and teaches us, you know, keep me from temptation. Deliver me from those things, God. Because he's the only one who can. You know, in our own strength, we're gonna fall. But if we, if we depend on His Spirit working in us, He'll keep us from that. In, in 1 Corinthians 10.13, it, it just sort of uh, reinforces that. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. So anything that we're going through, we're not alone. Other people have experienced it too. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So we see here God's hand upon those who trust in Him that that even though temptation may come our way, even though the enemy may try to come against us, God's going to make a way of escape. God's going to make a way that we we won't have to fall into those things. And again, the beautiful picture here we see of the mother bird just protecting her, her babes from harm and knowing that God will enable us to go through this world with confidence because our confidence is in Him. We trust in Him. And you know, we receive benefits as, as believers. We, as children of God, we receive that special relationship with God that non-believers don't have. Those who don't know Him don't receive the same thing. So 
What a beautiful thing, that relationship that he has with us. He wants to give us. He wants to give us that sense of, of comfort, of peace and protection. So, you know, we, we, we need to go to him. We need to abide in him. And we receive that. Verses 9 and 10 says, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. So again, that protection, special benefits that we receive as children of God when we make him our refuge. And you see, it's, it's our responsibility to do that. It's our responsibility to make him our home, make him our refuge, make him our dwelling place. You know, so that's something that's a mindset. That's something that we need to continually just put in the forefront of how we think, how we, as we walk through this world. Are we, are we seeking God? Are we making him our dwelling place? Are we comfortable with God? Do we delight in him? Right? And do we depend on him? So all of those things that, that just show that that special relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. So again, more verses that just speak of God's protection over us, giving his angels charge over you. Now, you know, it could be, it could be speaking of our, our, our guardian angel, a special angel that's assigned to us, but certainly even, even more than that, you know, his whole, uh, you know, the heavenly hosts will protect us. But remember that verse there, verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. If it sounds familiar in the New Testament, it is. If you, if you uh, look at Matthew 4, remember the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan. Remember he was out in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan came to him and he tested him in the wilderness and he tested and he tempted Jesus. So then the, it says in verse 5 of Matthew 4, Then the devil took him up to the holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and remember, Satan knows the Bible and he'll use it against us. He, used it, he tried to use it against Jesus. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So we see that this verse here is taken from the Psalm 91 and it was obviously misapplied by Satan, misquoted by Satan when he tried to tempt Jesus. And he'll do that. He'll, you know, he'll take scripture and he'll twist it and he'll he'll try to get us tripped up. But but we need to be cautious of those things. We need, to, we need to know the Word of God enough to know when the Scripture is not, is not quite right. In one of the commentaries, 
that I was reading, it says here, this text is wrongly applied because it wasn't used to teach or encourage, but instead to deceive. So be careful when Satan tries to use Scripture against you to deceive you. If, it, if, if God is using Scripture to grow you in your relationship with Him, it's going to be edifying. It's going to, be, it's going to build you up, right? It's not going to tear you down, and it's not going to, certainly not going to deceive you. So we, we need to be careful. And we, and we need to be careful also that we don't misapply Scripture. You know, that we don't take, like, the promises that God gives us and put them to the test, you know, in, you know, in irresponsible ways. You know, like, His promise to keep us doesn't mean that we go and do, you know, risky things that would put ourselves in, in danger. Or, or, his, or His promise to keep us from temptation doesn't mean that we should go looking for it. Because that's misapplication of the Scripture. And that's what Satan tried to do. So be careful yourself that you, don't, that you don't do that even unwittingly because, you know, we can fall. And, and, and then we don't, you know, we'll, we'll fall into Satan's trap. Then in verses 14 through 16 to finish up Psalm 91, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will, be, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So, see, uh, the, the psalm just is encouraging from beginning to end, speaking about God's protection, his hand upon us. And it's conditional, though, upon loving God the promises that he makes to us. Remember, it says here that he would be with us in trouble and he would deliver us from trouble. So it doesn't mean that we will never have troubles in our life, but God will be with us even in the midst of those. And, you know, ultimately, the biggest trouble that we can find ourselves in is to be eternally separated from God. And you know that that promise he'll always keep to those who put their trust in him. So, a really encouraging psalm, one that you want to probably mark in your Bible that you want to uh, bring back out again and again. Psalm 92. Psalm 92, uh, specifically designated to be sung or recited on the Sabbath day. And remember, a lot of these psalms were, are uh, were either ceremonial in nature or congregational in nature. They were meant. They were written for a specific person purpose, or they were written and then used for specific purposes. So we see here, right in the title, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. So um, in the Talmud, which is the commentary on the on the Jewish scriptures, um, there's a psalm for each day of the week, and this is. Psalm for for the Sabbath day. It's a psalm of rest. It's a psalm of worship and praise. Um, it describes God's uh, blessings in salvation, His blessings in creation and judgment, and uh, and that He would that He'll be faithful to judge the wicked, you know, and um, and that those who love Him 
can trust in that faithfulness. So verses 1 through 4. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonies sound, harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. So, instruction here on how and why we worship the Lord. Well, first, because it is good. It is good to worship the Lord. And, you know, when we come together and we, you know, we, we gather together and we have a time of, of worship and praise and we lift our voices and the instruments play, it should be something that we rejoice in, something that we want to do. And so we, it is good to give thanks. It is good to sing your praises. And we really don't need any more reason than that. Then it's good. It's good. He is good. You know, he is awesome. And he's done uh, great things. And his works are numerous. But really, we praise him just because it is, it's a good thing to do. And we give him glory in many ways. It says here we give him thanks. You know, as we acknowledge that it's, it's God who brings blessings to his people. We glorify him by singing his praises, you know, and in our worship time because he's awesome. We give him glory by declaring his loving kindness. Loving kindness is that, is that attribute of God which refers to his grace and his mercy. You know, think where we would be without his grace and his mercy. So, and then we, and then we worship him and we glorify him because of his faithfulness. He'll never fail us. You know, and that's something that we can always count on. And then uh, in verses 5 and 6, O Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. So we praise him also because of his works. We praise him because it's good. We praise him because he's awesome. But we also praise him because of his works. And, you know, think about his works and, and what it says here in verse 6. A senseless man does not know, nor, a, nor does a fool understand. You know, we can look around us and see the beauty of his creation, which, which is his ultimate work. And, you know, we can give him the glory that's due him because of his creation. But people look at the beauty in, in the world all the time and never give him glory, never give him credit. You know, they appreciate the beauty of creation, but they, never, they don't give credit to the Creator. So a senseless man doesn't know this. And then in verses 7 through 9, the psalmist goes on, When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. So the difference here between, between believers and non-believers is that the works of the believer have eternal consequences. The works of the one who doesn't know God are only temporary. You know, we will be judged as believers for the things that we do here on earth. 
But that's not a judgment, a salvation judgment. That's a judgment of rewards when we get to heaven. The non-believer will not even be judged for the things that he does because they rejected Jesus. So those works that non-believers do won't go into eternity with them. You know, for us it's different. God sees us, we're saved, we have a relationship with Him. Those works that we do, God will judge, God will see and, and, and reward accordingly. But even the good works, think about it, even the good works of, of people that don't know God are, are temporary. They end when their life ends. But my horn, in verse 10, you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye has also seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. So the psalmist here being refreshed by the Lord because he sees and understands God's faithfulness. You know, he's, he blessed the psalmist and he's dealt with his enemies. And we receive those same things. You know, he blesses us. He deals with us differently. Think about it. We have a special privilege as believers, as children of God. He deals with us differently than he does with those who don't know him. And he'll minister to our needs if we seek him. So we, we really should... Remember that special relationship that we have with God and, and, and go, go to him often. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So we see the, uh, the, the permanence, the strength, the longevity of, of the palm tree and the cedar tree as it's applied to those who put their trust in God. Think about the fruit that, that we have as, as believers glorifying him. And, and we can do that right up into our old age. There are opportunities to serve. There are opportunities to be fruitful all over. And um, you know, maybe you think you're, you're too old, but the, the word here says that uh, they shall still bear fruit in an old age. So um, just remember that. Uh, Colossians, 10, Colossians 1.10 just s- sort of reinforces this too. It says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So if we think about the fact that, listen, God is beyond our complete understanding, so it's a lifelong journey, a search for who He is, you know, and increasing in our knowledge of Him, you know, every day. So that means that as we grow in our relationship with Him, that our fruit can continue to grow that we will be fruitful in this life. And, you know, certainly we all want to have a purpose. We all want to feel like, you know, we, we have uh, meaning in life. And so this, this psalm is also encouraging in that way. Uh, it just teaches us that, you know, there's, there's fruit. You know, there's fruit to, be, to, be, uh, to bear 
and there's, uh, there's still work to be done, no matter what. Um, Psalm 93, five verses. So basically, I'm going to give a quick commentary, and then we'll just read through it. Psalm 93 is a psalm of praise for his reign and sovereignty over all things. And uh, just, just a few of the things, the different aspects of his sovereignty that are, that are mentioned in this psalm. His majesty, his strength, um, his creation, uh, the eternal kingdom of God, which had no beginning and has no end. And then uh, God's power in the awesomeness of his creation. And then also the trustworthiness of God's scriptures. So, um, you know, he's true and um, he's unchanging. He's fully reliable. So we'll just read through the, uh, this psalm. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. So, uh, short, but uh, certainly to the point of God's faithfulness and, uh, and sovereignty. Psalm 94. Psalm 94 is sort of uh, stuck in between a few psalms of praise and worship. Uh, when we get to Psalms 95 to 100, you're going to see some repetitive um, uh, just aspects of praising God, worshiping God, lifting up His name. And um, they're a call to worship, they're a call to obedience to the one who reigns over all things. Psalm 94, on the other hand, um, is, is stuck in the middle here, and it conveys the psalmist's concern that the wicked were prospering while the people of God were suffering. And, I, you know, I think we can relate to that in a lot of ways. You know, uh, we don't understand sometimes how come it seems as though, you know, the, those who don't know him, those, the, the wicked are, are prospering and, and the people of God are continually suffering. But really, it's, it's because of our inability to fully understand what God is doing. And we need to recognize that. The psalmist here pleads the case of the righteous while calling on God to punish the wicked. And, and we can feel his frustration we can feel his confusion here because he sees what's happening in the world. And think about what we, what we see in the world today. We see what's happening in the world and we wonder, God, are you, are, are you there? God, are you, are you, do you know what's going on? When are you going to judge God, the wicked? You know, we, we think about, I mean, we don't know what happened to the, to the Malaysian airline, but, but it, it seems like, Something, uh, something uh, evil there. Where you know, when is God going to judge? So those things are things that we always wonder about. We think about, but you know, what I've learned, and especially in studying this psalm, is sometimes we don't we don't know the answers. 
Sometimes God is just beyond our, our finding out. You know, he, his ways are, are higher than our ways. And sometimes we just need to leave it in his hands. Um, sometimes it seems as if the wicked um, just go on and prosper um, without any consequence. So we get this, a sense of the psalmist's um, feelings in this, in this psalm. So verses 1 through 7 says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord doesn't see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. So not only are they wicked, but they're arrogant, right? And they, and they think that, that God's like an absentee landlord. He just sort of put us all here and let it, left us to our own devices, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, have any idea of what's going on. It says, um, you know, it says in Hebrews 10.30, speaking of vengeance, you know, because sometimes we want to, you know, we want to uh, inflict vengeance on the wicked. But it says in Hebrew 10, Hebrews 10.30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. So we need to get to a place where we sort of give it to God, leave it in his hands. Now, think about what the psalmist is doing here. He's questioning God, right? He's questioning God here. He's sort of informing him of everything that the wicked people are doing. Trying to, trying to, you know, God, do you know what they're doing? They're speaking ill of you and, and your people, and they, they're, they're proud, and, and they, they come against, they attack believers. You know, they, 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 they don't have any, they have, they have no care for the widow or the, the downtrodden, the fatherless. God, do you understand? So, so the, the psalmist here is questioning God, and you know, it's, it's, weird. it's strange in the way he does it. He kind of acknowledges God's right to judge, but he questions his timing, right? God, I know you're the judge of all the earth, but how long? You know, how long will you, will you, not, will you not judge these things? So he pleads, this, he pleads his case for vengeance, but he admits that God's slowness to respond makes people think that he doesn't care. You know, the wicked may just keep doing what they're doing because they think God's not there. You know, some people probably wonder the same thing and that those who seem to be getting away with it, getting away with sin, you know, are, are sort of flying under the radar. I think there's... What, what this, again, what this psalm taught me was that there are questions that we struggle with you know, and then, and when we struggle with the things that we don't know, I've I've always been taught, and I try to tell others, go back to the things you do know, go back to the things you do know. We know God's character, we know He's just, yet He's long suffering, right? We know that He's loving, 
yet he's holy. But we know that. We may not fully understand it. We know he's faithful to his people. So if he's faithful, then we can leave, we can leave some questions unanswered. You know, we can leave some things that we don't know and not feel confused and, and not question God. And I think ultimately, verse, uh, a verse in Romans brings us to a point where we just need to settle on that. And that is Romans 11.33, where it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So we can get to a point where we just say, Okay, God, you just, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand some of the things in the world that are going on, but I, I trust in you. Yeah, I know you, your ways are higher than my ways. I don't understand this, but I'm just going to trust. And then in verses 8 through 11, back to Psalm 94, Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, Shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. So the psalmist here giving God the honor he deserves for his great power in creating us and his sovereignty over the nations. You know, God, God knows all things. We can't teach him anything. You know, it's funny the way he... Uh, he words it there. He who planted the ear, in other words, he who formed your ear and, and all the intricacies of what goes into that, can't he hear? Doesn't he know what's going on? Again, questioning, questioning those things from God and, and putting it in perspective. He who formed the eye and all that goes into that, you know, the, the science behind our vision, can't he see? Of course he can. God sees, sees everything. So for us, we, we, get, we can get to a place where we accept. We just accept his perfect will and recognize that, that his plan will ultimately come to pass. And then uh, in verses 12 through 15, it says, uh, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity, until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow, follow it. So uh, the psalmist here giving us some comfort if we're willing to learn, some comfort if we're willing to trust in him. See, because we know the end of the story. We know that that. Jesus will ultimately judge the wicked. We know that the righteous will, will be with him forever. So, you know, we, we can take that and we can put that in the place of what we don't know and don't understand. Think about if we were in the place of God, how we would handle things differently, you know, uh, how we would want to just get vengeance you know, for the wicked, how we would, want to, we would have wanted to have judged the wicked long ago. But then think about also God's long-suffering and his patience. You know, think about, I know for me, 
I didn't come to the Lord until I was in my 40s. You know, if God had judged me the first time that I, I sinned against him, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. How many people we know that come to the Lord later in life or people that we're still praying for who don't know the Lord yet? You know, I, 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 love, the, I love the verse in Second Peter that kind of gives us perspective on this. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when we start to think, judge God or, or question God on his timing, know that you know, there are still more that are going to come, come to him. You know, it may be somebody that we are praying for that will eventually come to him. So, so his, his patience is something that we, we should love about God, not question. Um, verses 16 through 19, uh, the psalmist starts to ask some questions here. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have settled in silence. If I say, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. So I like this. The psalmist is sort of working through this as he writes it down. He asks the questions in verse 16. Who will defend your people? Who will be the advocate for the righteous? And then he brings the answer in verses 18 and 19. It's God. God in his mercy. God in his grace. God in his comfort. You know, I love that. Your comforts delight my soul. You know, so, you know, when we, I, you know, the psalmist here is a- asking sort of a rhetorical questions. Of course it's God who will be our advocate. Of course it's God who will go up against uh, those who come against us. And then to finish off in 20 to, uh, verses 20 to 23, it says, Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense, and my God the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. So again, the psalmist here asking a question in verse, in verse 20. Shall the workers of iniquity have fellowship with you, God? Of course not. You know, they, they, you, you'll deal with them, God. And you know, so, so the, this psalm sort of questions some things about God that we don't understand. And we just need to remember those things that we do know about God. And that is, he's our defense. He's our rock. He's the one who we can uh, hide under the shadow of his wings. He'll protect us. He loves us. He'll ultimately make all things right. And he's our refuge. So, sort of, we started in a place tonight in Psalm 91 of just God's protection. He's our, he's our, our shield and our buckler and our refuge. And we end in the, in the same place. So um, just those things to remember about our, about our God. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the Psalms that, um, that speak uh, just truthfully about, about how we look at some things in this world and look at some things in this life and how sometimes we may even question those things. But thank, thank you, Lord, that you've put those, um, those reassurances in to the Psalms, those things that we know that we can count on, that we can trust in, that you'll always be there. And Lord, we just ask that, uh, that you would continue to just draw your people closer and closer to yourself and that we would respond, we would call upon you when we have uh, those things that, uh, that we're in need of, knowing that you will provide all of those things that we need. You will be the one... Uh, that, that will protect us and that will keep us safe. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray um, as, we, as, a, as I hear the rain pounding against the, the roof, I pray, Lord, for safe travel for everyone tonight. And um, again, put a hedge of protection around each and every one of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand for a time of worship? <clears throat>